0: Hi Michael, good morning. Good morning. How are Thanks you? Thanks for today? having me. So welcome to One Humanity Community Podcast. In this podcast, we feature the stories of nature lover, ecologist, environmentalists, farmers, climate change activists, advocates, ecopreneurs. Ecopreneur means ecological entrepreneur, social entrepreneur, and above all, change makers. I would like to have a chat with you, mostly it would be informal chat, I would say. So how would you like to introduce yourself for our audience, Michael? Uh, Let's see. I'm a
1: plantsman. I work with perennials mostly, focus on uncommon fruits. By uncommon, I mean easy to grow, tasty um and attractive you know sort of what i call edible landscape all-stars uh which are not your usual characters that most folks uh start out with you know and when you when you get into fruit growing people think about their favorite fruits in the stores you know the red delicious apples the peaches and in our mid-atlantic area uh, they are rather challenging but there's lots of other fruits that are easy to grow And these are the ones I like to focus on, things like the pawpaws and the elderberries and the juneberries and the juju bees, things that are delicious uh, and very easy to grow. So I always always try to encourage people to start with what's going to grow well so that you're encouraged to do more. Whereas if you start with something challenging and it fails, you think, oh, I don't have a green thumb. I can't grow things. And that's, you know, the green thumb is a myth. You know, if you can use a computer, you can grow food. You know, it's a matter of focusing, right? It's like, what do you put your attention on? And the same thing with growing. You know, it's just getting your timing right and ideally choosing the best species. I also work a lot with nut trees. Um, I'm very big. I have a nonprofit maybe we'll talk about focused on nut trees specifically. Uh, so I can get into that maybe when we talk on that subject, but yeah, I just love plants. I love plants. And then I, I love designing, you know, plants to different landscapes. So when I, when I look at landscapes, I it, like, it, I, they automatically sort of read the landscape. It just happens to me everywhere I go, where I start to see what sort of plants would go well based on water, wind, sun, you know, all of these elements. So design and
0: plants, that's. That's where I'm at. When I read about you and uh, you made me nostalgic, uh, your work in Nicaragua and uh, the design you you did, and uh, so many other work. And you know, I was just wondering some of your videos about paw paw plant. I don't know much about paw, paw <laughs> even though I I'm also a plant guy like you. I sell plant and also you know sometimes. And give for free some plants that's i have a little plant business sort of thing so uh, yeah please tell me more about Papa plant yeah so as you mentioned i i lived in
1: the tropics uh for almost 20 years of my life throughout latin america mostly and um, a good 12 years i lived in rural nicaragua So all tropical growing systems. So did the same thing there, work with fruits, nuts, palms, bamboos, you know, all these edible and useful plants, typically always focusing on perennial species. You know, it's a big focus for me for many reasons which we can talk about but the pawpaw is very unique in the sense that it is the only member of the custard apple family which is all tropical and subtropical it's the only member of that family that migrated north over thousands hundreds of thousands of years into modern day you know north america as far as southern ontario pretty much into zone usda zone five uh and six all the way down now it stops in around zone nine around northern florida so it doesn't go tropical anymore it's very interesting species and it is a delicious fruit especially when you get the good genetics so i'm big on genetics and fruits and nuts and plants in general because it makes all the difference you know if you're going to take the time the effort and give valuable space to planting something Ideally, you have the best genetics to get the, you know, what you're hoping to get from that plant. So the pawpaw is a good example. You know, there's, there are good wild pawpaws out there and people find them, but there's also a lot of pawpaws, wild pawpaws that aren't worth eating and are not the best experience. So if you're going to plant a pawpaw, get the best genetics. And there's been some really good work done on selecting pawpaws. Uh, Probably ever since humans interacted with them, but certainly in the last hundred or so years, there's been a lot of focus to get the really good genetics and cultivars or select seedlings of pawpaws. And when you are having one of these select, you know, cultivars of pawpaws you you know you're eating one of the best fruits on the planet the pawpaw has a custard like consistency to it with tropical flavor notes of banana and mango pineapple citrus i mean it's it's exquisite i've traveled the planet tasting fruits all over i'm a real fruit, fruit explorer and i consider the pawpaw to be one of the best fruits i've ever tried anywhere on the planet and it grows here in the north so it's a tropical plant that grows in the north Beautiful, big lobed green leaves, landscape, you know, edible landscape, you know, specimen, certainly all-star, has very little problems, issues with disease and insects. Is gorgeous. The deer don't eat it. Big bonus, big, mm-hmm. big, big bonus. It's medicinal. The leaves and the twigs uh, are having uh, a lot of research done for their medicinal properties. Uh, you know, I can't say enough about it. I wrote a book on it. You know, one of my books is on Paul's for the love of pawpaws. We have a pawpaw paw festival i have over 100 pawpaw paw trees here at our at our permaculture site you know probably 30 different types of cultivars so you know <laughs> i don't know what more to say about it uh you know of all the things
0: i grow it certainly stands pretty tall yep you convince me to plant pawpaw <laughs> paw. every um winter i have a list of the plant and mm-hmm. I talk to my wife and my children and, you know, where, where can I plant? I have bamboo, I have uh, English laurel, skip laurel, all kinds of things, which, you know, I use for, uh, for selling purpose. I will find a little somewhere, a little corner where I, yeah. can,
1: I don't know. Yeah. Know. Well, I'll tell you a trick with the pawpaws. Ideally you plant them in full sun. This is, mm-hmm. you know, where people often, you know, get misled by hearing that it's, it's a shade you know, growing plant came up from the north. So it's highly adaptive. It'll grow obviously in the, in the dense shade. It will not fruit in the dense shade of the forest. It needs some light to give some fruit and then full sun gives you full fruit. And we're talking on a tree with good genetics, 40, 50 pounds of fruit per tree in the sun if it's well mulched and is out of the wind. So if you have a small space, like it sounds like you do, you can plant two pawpaw trees, you know, one foot apart mm. and have them grow up and they'll grow up and they'll work it out and they'll seem almost like one tree, but they'll be able to cross pollinate. And that's key. You do need at least two for cross pollination. But if you have a limited space, you can plant two, one foot apart. I've actually done that and it's it's worked wonderfully. So, you know, and, uh, try to get it as much sun as you can and then mulch it deep and wide. They like consistent moisture, but they need good drainage. Don't put them in a wet spot. Another misnomer things people think, oh, they grow down by the stream. They grow on the stream banks and they grow in the areas of the floodplain that drain. They will not grow in a wet soil. You have a very wet soil, grow elderberries, uh, and American persimmon and mulberries.
0: In fact, I have very, very limited space, Michael. A couple of years ago, my wife and I started looking for little land uh, in Frederick County and some other areas. Mm -hmm. We didn't find, unfortunately, but this dream is still alive. Um, And please tell me a little bit about Project Bonapide. Uh, This is really cool. When I was reading about Project Bonapide, I thought about we in Nepal, especially in the context of Nepal, we need more Michael. Yeah, so Project Bonafides a nonprofit I
1: started in Nicaragua. So when I I'd spent many years before that living with indigenous peoples throughout Latin America, working in rural communities and just learning lots of skills and just weren't learning propagation and working with tropical species and and just realizing the challenges of hunger and lack of food security and just a lot of the basic, you know, life need challenges that you find. And so I, I had sort of a, a large uh, drive to try and help um, you know, create food security in the long term and then also create market niches based on those perennial foods. So Project Bonafide started in rural Nicaragua on a, a remote island within Lake Nicaragua, so a twin volcanic island called uh, isla ometepe absolutely magical place on the planet uh very very removed from from the mainstream of life i did this all on my own you know i wasn't part of any projects or people always say are you part of peace Corps?" And i'm like no this is just me mm. and so i showed up there with the you know with the vision and you know, of of creating these food forests. And I began by collecting diversity from around the tropical belt of the world. So a good example are mangoes, right? So in permaculture, we observe what's doing well somewhere. You know, we don't go in necessarily with a bunch of ideas about what we're gonna plant or is it native or not native. We go in there and we say, what's doing well? And mangoes were doing really well, but they only had one type of mango and it was dropping these little stringy fruits in one month of the year. So I'm like, all right, well, I know there's lots of different types of mangoes that'll produce at different times of the years. So went around the tropical belt, you know, went throughout Central America, Hawaii, you know, Southern Florida, you know, Thailand, Southeast Asia, wherever these mangoes were growing and started collecting the grafting wood, the cultivars grafted them onto the local stock. And then we started creating number one food security, because then you started having mangoes producing almost every month of the year right? And then you had a market niche because you could start selling mangoes when nobody else had mangoes. Mm. So that, that kind of concept was what I was working with. And we did the same thing with avocados. We helped bring in jackfruits and different types of bamboos and palms, you know, edible palms, you know, all these different types of, you know, seed and oil producing plants, finding the genetic diversity. And now that's, that was 2001. So that was 20, what, 23 years ago now. You know, it's a huge food forest down there now. It's one of probably the largest genetic repositories, uh, you know, of many fruits and nuts and other useful species, you know, throughout the tropics and the whole world now. And, you know, Nicaragua has gone through some challenging times yet again in recent years. Um, But it's still a place that people are traveling to. Uh, there's actually an upcoming permaculture design course uh, in February at Selva Negra, which is a really cool um, sort of fair trade organic coffee cooperative in the Highlands. I highly recommend that. Uh, it's being taught uh, by Andrew Faust, who's one of a uh, friend of mine and someone I think a lot of as a permaculture teacher. So it's a great combination of learning permaculture in an amazing spot and space. So I do encourage people to check out Nicaragua. Um, And I think uh, Project Bonafide, even though I'm not still in the running of it, I'm connected with it. And you can look up projectbonafide.org on Instagram. Uh, And if you're interested to see about going there, maybe doing some volunteering, Uh, they have been doing permaculture courses, you know, for most of the years Uh, So definitely, you know, encourage you to check out Nicaragua in general. And then, you know, these these permaculture-based projects, they're great places to land.
0: Yeah. You know, I have many uh, best friends from uh, Nicaragua. They talk about culture. They talk about food and uh, all forest food and fruit and all these things. And um, I have never been to Nicaragua. So thank you for sharing so many good thing about Nicaragua. Yeah. Let me uh, travel you um, back to the U.S. from Nicaragua. So again, when I was watching one of your video about uh, your circular straw bale house, mm-hmm. wow, I was yeah. so fascinated. This is my dream house, by the way, Michael so can you please tell me a little more about it it's not that you are just talking about it you know many people talk about permaculture and so many theories but living it mm. not only you're not preaching but really practicing it that yeah. makes that makes me really feel wow yeah it I'm becomes a it, be, it becomes a
1: way of living you know when you get further into you know, permaculture or other sort of regenerative design ways, uh, uh, it becomes a way you live. Um, You begin to see how things can work together in your life, uh, both in, you know, your economy, um, you know, where you live, you know, how you're spending your days. Um, It just, you know, once you start to see how all this does work well together, then you just naturally start to move into it. And it becomes, you know, your life. Um, It's very possible. And yeah, it it works. It really works well. And I think, you know, my life is a good example of that. Not that it doesn't take a lot of, um, you know, sort of courage, but I mean, I don't really, I say courage, but really it's passion. I'm never really, uh, you know, that's one of the things about me is I'm just like, I'm so excited about doing these things that I'm, I'm never really like, oh, I'm worried about something not working. I just really get into it. Um, And since these are a lot of things that I do have a lot of proven record as well, it's not like some things I'm definitely creating on my own, but a lot of these things like a straw bale house. Straw bale houses work really well in our climate. You know, that's proven. You know, now what I did was I designed a circular round wood house, you know, so I added my own elements to it. Uh, but you know, I'm working with something that has, it has track record as well. So yeah, our circular straw bale house, uh, we finished building about seven years ago now. And it's wonderful to live in. It was, uh, it was, it was really cool to build it. It created community. You didn't necessarily need to have a lot of uh, professional building skills. You know, you're working with a lot of natural materials: straw, clay. You know, lime plasters. We have earthen floors, a living roof. You know, compost toilet, gray water systems. You know, in some ways, the whole house is simplified um, from complexity. Now, you do put a little more extra time and labor in to build these, but you're using materials that are all around us. And that's the difference. There is difference between natural building and green building. You know, natural building is working with natural materials. Green building is working with fabricated materials that probably have less impact. And sometimes that's what's realistic in certain environments. But if you do have the opportunity and the space to do a new build, natural building is a wonderful way to go and it feels good to live in i mean we our 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 psyche is really shaped by the environment around us the architecture around us and and you feel that when you're in a natural space like ours which is circular as well so the, the the mind your mind moves in different ways it's able to sort of you know relax more and and flow more rather than sort of be all bouncy and edgy which is like most of our built environment these days, you know, it's, it's the architecture does affect, you know, our psyche. So
0: there you have it. Wonderful, Michael. Wonderful. Um, as as I said, this is my dream project at some point in my life. Um, How would you envision your homestead, your paradise, I would say, uh, after 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Um, Well, I I, I always do. You know, And that's the
1: trick, especially when you're planting is to think about the full size of something. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people, most people tend to plant things too closely. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're going to plant, you know, like a Chinese chestnut tree, which I do recommend you think about, okay, well, when that gets growing, it's got this beautiful umbrella canopy. You know, it's maybe 30 feet tall and probably a good, you know, know, almost 30 feet, you know, wide. So you think about that ultimate reach of your branches. You're like, okay, well, let's make sure that I've got some room between my trees as well, because you want good airflow, especially in our part of the world which is very very tropical humid in the summer we basically have a tropical growing climate here in the summer which is one of the reasons i love living here this is one of the best growing climates i've found on the entire planet it's really good spot here the mid-atlantic good rainfall even seasons uh, things really grow well so you think about but they but the back you know the thing you need to be mindful of that is that it's also very uh humid and you know there's quite a bit of potential disease issues which is not an issue if you're choosing the right species again you know really important especially in our zone and when you go look at catalogs they don't tell you they'll say oh yeah it's good for zone 5 through 9 but you know you know that's probably you know washington state it's not necessarily you know maryland dc virginia you know, Southern Pennsylvania area we're in, where it's like, well, the, the, the disease pressure is just gonna crush it. So knowing and filtering, and that's what I do. In my first book, Edible Landscaping with a permaculture twist, I have a whole chapter on uncommon fruits that, you know, helps highlight these easy to grow, very delicious characters. And and some of my work going forward is going to be expounding on that. Uh, I might do a I might be doing like a small course on it. And I might be redoing some of the some of the work in that book to expand uh, on because that's where I'm excited, you know, like, you know, especially now that I've got, you know, another decade of experience because I trial stuff. So I'll trial, you know, 10 different types of, you know, black currant bushes. I'll trial a bunch of hardy kiwis. I'll trial a bunch of figs. And and, and I was like, okay, well, look, these are the ones that are really thriving, you know, without much input and care in our climate. And our site's quite, um, it's, we're in, a, we're in a little holler. We're in like a little riparian creek zone, uh, which is great. There's no, you know, we have windbreaks all around us, but we're very sort of stagnant. Um, so it's a good testing ground for anything that might want to get funky. If it's going to get funky, it's going to get funky here. So if it does well here, it's probably going to do well in most regions, you know, areas around us. Um, I forgot what I was even talking about. You know, oh, spacing, spacing. So yeah, make when you when you're talking, when you're thinking about your trees, make sure you've got your good spacing. So for Chinese chestnuts, I would do forty foot spacing, potentially fifty foot if you have the space. You know, if you're doing small to mid sized fruit trees, you know, you're looking at, you know, probably an average of twenty foot spacing. Pawpaws you can plant closer. I would plant them at about twelve foot spacing.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. So, Michael, you know, it just seems that um, we may need to do other episode because so many interesting stuff people can learn from you. <laughs> um, so, I want to enter to the rapid fire round. Okay. Uh, who is Michael Jod in one sentence?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> ah, you. just a, another journeying soul,
1: you know, in the in the twenty first century, you know, trying to swim through,
0: you know, all of these new realities wonderful the most influential person your role model
1: oh gosh I've had quite a few um maybe one Doug Bullock (laughs) yeah Doug Bullock Doug Bullock of the Bullock brothers uh is a permaculture uh you know amazing teacher and mentor and he's in Orcas Island in uh, Washington State
0: Bullock brothers Doug Bullock yeah I also heard about them and I really uh loved whatever they, they have been doing for many, many years. Yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Yes. Uh, yes. And one of your favorite books that you would recommend?
1: Uh just finished one called The Uh The New Wild. Uh by I think Fred Pierce. Mm. Excellent, excellent book. Highly
0: recommend everybody to read that. Fantastic. What is one piece of advice you would give to your 18 years old self
1: it's the same thing i'm trying to say to myself now you know <laughs> uh just to um you know to slow down and you know sort of listen to what's what's happening uh you know versus sort of always being you know thinking you know three four steps down the road
0: right. be 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 more with what's actually going on perfect what is one piece of advice you would give to someone starting out in his or her career career like any kind of career
1: life career or or anything huh yeah anything pretty much yeah ah geez um learn about how to regulate your system your internal Mm. system you know learn about what being you know self-regulated means Uh, Because no matter what you're doing, if you don't have your own internal self-regulation, you're going to just be whipping all around the place and get caught up in a lot of things that don't have a lot of truth to you. So,
0: you know, learning about Mm self-regulation. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Nut trees. Wow, powerful. One thing you would really change if you had a magic wand.
1: I would, I would paint, I would paint, you know, nut trees over all these, you know, all of these corn and soybean
0: fields. (laughs) One thing, Michael, you enjoy most.
1: What do I enjoy most? Uh, Playing with my kids, um, working in the food forest, um, plants, Yeah, family, family and plants. Yeah, you know, same thing with me
0: what a uh, alignment i it's I, good I, I it's, it's good it's called good karma man yes you know <laughs> when i i'm bored i'm I, I don't get bored easily um but if i'm a little sort of out of the order to some extent my wife says you know when you find plant you're fine yes <laughs> it's a joke yeah. you, you even don't need me Right, right. Yeah, good. Good. Good for her, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with my family. I have three children and then I also yeah. enjoy, it. yeah, yeah. Well, you need the grounding too. I
1: mean, yeah. raising kids is crazy. Yeah. Any message to humanity? Message humanity, um, plant nut trees.
0: Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, Michael, uh, how can people find you and how can they buy your books? Um, and let's say if we, if you people want to come to your home state, if they can stay there, or please tell a little bit more about it.
1: Yeah, so you can check uh my website, ecologiadesign.com, mm-hmm. is a good landing spot. There you'll find links to my YouTube channel, on Instagram, I'm at permaculture ninja. Uh, you know, Facebook pages are all there, a lot of information to learn from, you know, links to my books are all there. Uh, best way to, to come and experience what we're doing is to come to one of the events we do during the year. Okay. Um, the Paw Paul Festival is the big one that's in September, typically the third Saturday in September. And it's an opportunity. We do works, not workshops. But we do tours and talks throughout the day. Food forest tours. So it's it's not just pawpaws. It's pawpaws and permaculture. Yeah. And our you know it's at our homestead. You know you get to see our home. You get to see the way we're living and doing things. So and enjoy pawpaws and music and fun for kids. Everybody, it's a hoot. Um, then I usually do a couple of workshops a year. Usually I do a mushroom growing workshop in the spring and the fall. And I'll often do a early summer, you know, sort of uh, food forest and house tour. Mm. So those are really, really the only options. Sometimes I also, in April, around April, I have a small nursery. So on Saturdays, you know, I'll do a limited amount of hours. People can come and walk around a bit and if they want plants, plants. Otherwise, you know, we don't really have sort of a, a revolving door, so to say, you know, life's, life's pretty, pretty nice and full. So I like to share through those events, and then through the materials that I'm able to create and share digitally, you know, I've created two online courses, ones on pawpaws, and the others on growing mushrooms. So I'm going to continue adding to that material. So my books, my courses, you know, my YouTube channel, I'm sharing a lot of what I'm
0: learning. Just um, yeah, finding those ways. Is it okay if I post your website link? Uh, oh yeah, in the description. Please. Okay, yeah. I Anything think people, like. some people it, yeah. might be interested in knowing more about it and maybe purchasing your books and courses.
1: Well, just come have a look, and you can see our pictures of our house and things like that that we've talked about. You know, give some visual reference to some of the things you know that we've we've shared here.
0: Yeah. So thank you, Michael. Thank you so much for your wonderful insight. Uh, I would be happy to learn more about you maybe in next episode. I had many other questions which I couldn't ask, but hopefully in the next episode. Thanks for having me. Bye, everybody. All right. Good planting. Thank you.